Okay, let's get this web conference underway. We'll start with a karakia. Punahia te po, te po whirimanama. Tomakia te ao, te ao, patitangata, tangata. Tātai ki runga, tātai ki raro, tātai ahurau, haumie, uie, taiaki e. Kia ora koutou and haere mai a welcome to the Get Outdoors field trip during Get Outdoors week. So hopefully you've got some outdoor adventures planned for this week. So I'm Shelley, the Learns field trip teacher, and we are currently in the Rescue Coordination Centre. And this is Sam. Hi. And if you joined us yesterday, you'll remember Carl okay. from Land Information New Zealand and Sam's from the Rescue Coordination Centre. And we'll start with Sam, can you just tell us a little bit about what work you do? Yeah, so here at the Rescue Coordination Centre, we coordinate search and rescue operations. Uh, we do that for aircraft, for ships, for boats, uh, and for people uh, missing on land uh, that are out tramping or hunting or anything like that. So we have a really big area. It goes all the way from the equator in the Pacific Islands down to Antarctica. So we, yeah, we cover a lot of operations there. Fantastic, that is a huge area to have to coordinate for. I'm, I'm looking forward to finding out how that all works. And Carl. So I'm Carl and I'm the Senior Digital Cartographer at Land Information New Zealand, Toitu Te Whenua. So we look after a number of maps that cover down to Antarctica as well um, and around the Pacific Islands, but certainly not to the equator. That's a bit out of our range. Um, what we're here for in this week is we're already talking about one of our maps, which is the Topo 50 map, which we use when we get outdoors. Yeah, and you probably haven't had a chance to check out the videos from yesterday, but Carl prevented us from getting lost by showing us how to use the maps yesterday and how to read them properly and orientate them properly because a map is useless if it's upside down. <laughs> You'll be going completely the wrong way. So check out those videos from yesterday. So it's a, a wet and wild day in Wellington this morning. In fact, we were a little bit late getting here this morning because there's been some flooding around the place. So we're hoping that that rain won't hold us back too much this, um, this morning. We'll see how it goes. But we're looking forward to finding out more about the Rescue Coordination Centre and that big area that it covers. So welcome along to both our listening school and our speaking school. We've got questions this morning from Tapoi School, which is fantastic. Thank you very much for contributing those. Um, we'll start with your first question. Question number one, please. What is your... That's it. What is your success rating? Oh, your success rate at uh, rescues, Sam. Can you give us a bit of information? Hopefully. Um, yeah, good, so good uh, it's hard to put an exact number on the success rate uh, for the search and rescue operations that we conduct because they're all so different uh, and they all have different, I guess, levels of success. Um, but we, we say that we have a very high success rate. It's very rare that we don't find what we're looking for. Um, and that's due to the great uh, technology that there is nowadays um, that people have. So yeah, very high success rate. Fantastic. Thanks, Sam. Yeah, and we're going to look at some of that technology today, which is really cool. And it's 
reasonably recent technology. It's not something that's been around for a whole long time. So it's, it's really helping with the likes of rescues. And question number two now, please. What technology do you use when there is a power cut or no nearby electrical source? Oh, that's a good question because you're thinking that in a, in a crisis, you might not have electricity and people may still need rescuing. Sam, can you give us an idea about that? Yeah, definitely. So here we work out of the operations room uh, and there's always a minimum of two search and rescue officers here. Uh, and this operations room is manned 24-7, so there's always people here ready to uh, help with the rescues. Um, we use a lot of technology and computers, and we have backup generators. Uh, in case there is a power cut, then we have another source of electricity. And we also have another uh, place that we can go to if something happens to this building. We can go uh, down the road, and we've got a whole setup there, so we can work out of another building as well. Awesome, so there's definitely a plan B and lots of backup resources. And question three, please. Is your equipment waterproof or ouseproof? Yeah, probably a lot of proofness in that equipment, <laughs> Sam. Um, yeah, so so like I said, we work out of an operations room. So we're not um, we're not the in the field rescuers. We're not the people that go and do the rescue. Uh, yeah, in the field, um, so we don't really need to be waterproof up here because we just stay in the nice dry operations room. But a lot of the equipment that um, our rescuers use is uh, waterproof. Uh, for example, the beacons that people set off, which is how we get alerted to a lot of the rescues, um, they're waterproof because a lot of them are on uh, boats and on ships. Yeah, and we were um, talking to Bevan yesterday from Mountain Safety Council, and he talked a little bit about um, locator beacons and the ones that you take on land and the ones that you take on water. And Sam, those ones... And boats, they activate when they hit the water? Yeah, so they're water activated EPIVs so that if uh, if it hits the water, if the ship sinks, um, then they just activate straight away without someone needing to press the button, which is another redundancy that we have. Very cool. So it's very important to have those on boats. Excellent question. And question number four, please. What equ equipment do you use? Oh, I bet there's a whole lot of technology and equipment that you guys have here in the up centre. Yeah, so we'll be running through that um, later on, a lot of the equipment that we use. Um, most of it's um, electronic. We use Google Earth as our main uh, mapping systems, and we have a lot of, uh, I guess, overlays that you can turn on and off. So you've got Google Earth and then lots of different layers so we can see all the information. Uh, we have lots of tracking systems for all the ships in the area and for all the aircraft so that we can see what uh, might be able to help with the rescue mission. Um, and that's that's all over the world. We can see all those um, all those ships and all those uh, aircraft. Yeah, and not wanting to leave Carl out because I'm sure there's heaps of cool technology that he uses as well in his job. And you talked about some fancy stuff yesterday. Um, I bet you Barry can remember the name of the imagery and so forth that you use. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So we talked yesterday about, yesterday about auto-rectified aerial images. And so what they are is photographs that you can actually take measurements of. And so something 
that Sam's talked about is that the area that you're covering, you're actually using Google, which uses a different projection to the NZTM projection that's used on our Topo 50 maps. So we can share some of our data and a lot of our data is actually in Google Maps as well, either the name's been taken from it or the uh, geometries that are used. So this is when we talk about lens sharing information in a digital format rather than a paper format and being used in other people's systems. That's really another way that the digital map is more modern and more flexible to be used compared to our old paper map. Very cool. So that's pretty nifty thinking that you can take measurements off photos that they're that accurate. And um, I know there's a lot of technology around drone use as well and the images that they take. We even looked at that on the sustainable seas trip. They were using drones to identify seaweed and, and map areas of seaweed. So lots and lots of tech. Very cool. Okay, we're now up to question number five, please. Did you ever say animals, does this need different? Uh, is there any rescues involving animals, Sam? Uh, so we, we don't specifically rescue animals. Um, our, our job is to rescue human life. But there has been many incidents where there have been animals involved and the animals have been rescued as well. We're obviously not going to leave them behind. <laughs> so there'll be, uh, there's been incident, incidents where there's been like say yachts uh, out at sea and um, they've been needed to be rescued off the yacht uh, and they'll also go rescue the dog or something that might be uh, with the people on the boat as well. Yeah, I guess uh, fins. Fire and Emergency New Zealand um, is involved in a lot of rescues of animals rather than you guys. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So if your cat ends up up the tree, you'd want to call a fire brigade, not the rescue coordination centre. <laughs> I'm sure the cat will find its own way out of the tree. <laughs> yeah. Okay, next question, please. How many rescues in a year do you make? Oh, bit of statistics there. <laughs> Oh, that's good. So um, we we do about a thousand incidents per year uh, and an incident doesn't necessarily mean a rescue operation because there's a lot of uh, things that are almost um, almost a rescue or and then the people kind of rescue themselves uh, or people who yeah, get, get themselves out of trouble. So out of the 1000 incidents that we run per year, about 250 of those are real search and rescue operations where people might have been hurt or um, something if we hadn't have been involved. Excellent. Thank you. And question seven, please. What are chefs like? A rescuer. Oh, rescuers, the different jobs that are involved. What kind of shift work is, is involved in that? Yeah, so you've got the people that are on the field um, rescuing and, and they also work shift work because they're available 24 seven. Uh, and then you've got us here at RCC who, like I said, we're 24 seven, so all the time available. Um, I can only really talk on our shift patterns uh, around the country, all the other operators will do different things. Uh, we work 12-hour shifts, so we do two 12-hour days, uh, then we have 24 hours off, and then we do two 12-hour night shifts. Um, and that's from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. or 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. Uh, and then after that, we get four days off. So quite long shifts involved, but a bit of, bit of time off in between, thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> Keep everybody on, on task. 
And uh, question number eight now, please. What was your worst incident and how did you get know to get there? If it was a new and strange environment. Uh, that's a good question. So you cover such a wide area yeah. that you must have to coordinate searches to very strange places yeah. sometimes. Um, I guess most of, well, for me, the very interesting ones are the ones that we do down in Antarctica. Um, so we get notified of these uh, usually by an EPIRB, which is that uh, locator beacon that we were talking about earlier. So a ship, um, say one time we had a, a fishing vessel and they activated their EPIRB, so we found out about it. Uh, the fishing vessel was, they had damaged their steering system for their, for their boat, so they couldn't maneuver and they were stuck in the ice. They were very far south, um, stuck in the ice. So we had to try and coordinate uh, a response to that vessel. Um, luckily, the ship was still intact, so they weren't sinking or anything. So it wasn't uh, immediately, they could wait a little bit. Um, and the response to that, it ended up taking about, uh, I think, six weeks to eight weeks before they managed to get home to a port uh, and to a place of safety, uh, which is a very long time for a rescue. And that involved getting um, the icebreaker from Korea came down and broke through all the ice. And then another ship uh, towed the fishing boat out through the ice. And then we had a tugboat come from South America and that tugboat uh, towed the fishing boat all the way up to South America. So that took several months for that operation and for those people to be safe again. Wow, that, that certainly is a memorable incident and having to coordinate all that and all those people over such a long period of time. Yeah, I guess um, performing rescues at sea, a lot different to on land and take, take a lot longer. Yeah, there's um, you can only use what's there and uh, a lot of the vessels are, are very far away so they might have to start, sa you know, they start sailing and they turn around and it might be um, four or five days before they come close to the vessel who is in distress. So it, it's quite, they're quite long responses, um, which is why the safety equipment you need out on a boat is uh, really important. Yeah, yeah, got to be self-reliant as much as possible. Yeah. And next question, please. What technology could you use to save someone in mid-air? Oh, I like this question. and I was <laughs> really interested in the answer to this. Um, yeah, it is a very interesting question. Um, I'm not sure if uh, we don't normally save people in midair. Uh, normally they've landed um, in some shape or form <laughs> before we get to save them. But there is one method that um, some planes do have, so not all, but some, and they have what they call a ballistic parachute. Um, and that means that the pilot of an aircraft can uh, press a button or so and a parachute comes out the back of the plane and that helps the plane uh, land safer if they don't have any engines or anything. That's kind of the only mid-air rescue uh, <laughs> kind of way that I know of. Um, yeah, ballistic parachutes. Ballistic parachutes. I've certainly learned something today. Um, I bet you not all aircraft have those. That's pretty exciting. And last question, question number 10, please. What tech issues have happened? What did you do? 
Hmm, I bet you there's all sorts of things that happen in the ops room, Sam. Yeah, so uh, we we do rely on technology um, and sometimes the technology doesn't always work, as we all know. So we do have uh, various ways that we can we can do the same job without the technology. So, um, for example, all the maps and all the charts, we have all of those for the whole of New Zealand and the region uh, in paper. So that's all the marine charts, the aviation charts, and the topo 50s. Um, we have them all on paper. We have a big chart table, so we can do uh, all of our working out, all of our search planning, and all that uh, manually, so we don't need to use any computers. Um, and we've got all the books and everything for references and hard copies. Excellent. So it kind of reinforces what we talked about yesterday, and that you, you can't just rely on the technology. You've got to have a backup as well, and that's where those those paper maps still come in handy, not just the digital ones. Excellent questions. Thank you very much to, to Boys School this morning. Pleasure talking to you. We're going to hang around for a few minutes. If you've got extra questions that you want to pop in the chat pod, um, please do so. And we'll do our best to answer those. And we've got Tauranga Intermediate School and they've probably got some questions too. So um, fire away, we'd, we'd love to answer some of your burning questions. Oh, we've got one there. What, what's your favorite rescue story? Oh, <laughs> that's a, it's a hard question. Um, they're, they're all amazing when, when you get a great outcome. Uh, it's just, it's such a good feeling to have done that. Um, you know, some of, some of the really uh, incredible ones are when there is a yacht um, you know, and it's it's halfway to Chile, so it's, you know, 1,500 nautical miles from anywhere uh, and we managed to find a ship that can go and rescue them. And there was one, um, I think it was the start of this year, a few months ago, and they, they were sailing down from Panama and they were just in the middle of nowhere and they hit a whale um, and the whale cracked the hull of their boat and they started sinking and they, there was just no one around. Um, but luckily there, there was, uh, we found out a fishing boat it was only like 20 nautical miles away, which is so close when you're that far out in the ocean. Um, and they managed to get on board this Chinese fishing boat, which is just incredible. So uh, a situation that could have gone so badly, you know, it had such a great outcome and, and stories like that are just incredible. Thanks, Sam. And uh, this one, I think, is asking for a bit of advice. So what do you do when you end up getting in trouble? So for uh, these guys out in their classroom, if they're wanting to get out and about this week and over summer, of course, because it's not just get outdoors week, we've got a, a great place here in Aotearoa to explore. Um, so if they got in, in trouble, whether it be at land or sea, is there some basic advice of what what to do, which would help yeah. the likes of you if you were yeah. coordinating a rescue? Definitely. So uh, a lot of it happens before you actually get into trouble. So it's all about your preparation before you go out on the water or go out into the hills, tramping or whatever. Um, and a key part of that is telling someone your plans and, and, and when you're going to be back, who's with you, where you're planning on going, so that if you don't return by a certain time, they, they know something's happened and they can alert the police or alert us. Um, and another big, uh, big point is having methods of communication. So if you're out on the water, that's a VHF radio, a cell phone, an EPIRB. Uh, out in the hills, a cell phone can work if there's reception, but there's not always reception. Um, a PLB, 
anything like that so that you can uh, alert the authorities if something happens. So a beacon is really important. Yeah, and tomorrow we're going to meet um, people from Landsar Search and Rescue. So they're the people that actually go out and, and follow coordination centre protocols and, and actually rescue the people on the ground. It'll be interesting to hear their advice as well. Um, we've got some other questions here. Uh, do you get a longer break after a rescue? <laughs> uh, no, we don't. Uh, so we work our 12 hour shift and some days not really anything can happen. And some days it's just flat out the whole day, um, but we get the same breaks uh, and that's all good. It's just part of the job really. <laughs> exactly. And what happens when people don't know who you are? I'm imagining um, this means if um, someone needs rescuing and you don't have any idea of who it is that needs rescuing. I'm not quite sure what, what that question means. Um, yeah. if we, can we have some, some clarification on that one? I'm not sure who you mean. Yep, Leah's just going to come up and explain her question. Awesome, thank you. What happens when the people that you're rescuing don't know what you're doing? I see, yes. Yeah, that makes much more sense. Thank you. So, uh, Sam. Yeah, uh, so a lot of people don't know who the Rescue Coordination Centre is um, because it's quite a complicated thing, I guess. Uh, and a lot of the time people call the police or they call the ambulance. Um, and we all, as all the authorities, we all work together and we all communicate. So it really doesn't matter if the person who's lost or injured knows who we are. The authorities in the system work together. So we all, um, we all kind of close the gap so we know who's uh, organising the rescue and who's doing what job um, and we just a lot of communication around that so yeah it doesn't really matter if people don't know who who we are as such because they all know who the police are <laughs> yeah indeed and um, we've got a question what's your most technical rescue and I think we kind of answered that with the the lengthy boat rescue yeah. that you talked yeah. about um, when was your last rescue um, well, I, I just came back on my shift from four days off, so it's my first day back on. Uh, so I haven't yet had one. We've only been one hour into the shift. <laughs> um, but we do, uh, my last shift pattern, we did have several uh, on the last days on. Um, so it, it's pretty much every day that we're here, we're, we're, we're rescuing people. And we spoke to Calvin before, who also works here at the rescue centre, and I think he said something like there have been 710 incidents so far this year. So that's that's quite a few. If you do the maths, you can probably work out on average how many that is per day. Okay, and Sam, when did you start your job in, in the rescue coordination centre? Because you've got quite an interesting background. <laughs> yeah, so I started here uh, a year and a half ago. I've been I've been here, um, and before that, to provide a bit of background, I worked as uh, I worked on cruise ships, and I worked as a marine engineer officer and a navigation officer. So that was uh, running the ship's engines below, and then driving the ships and navigating them uh, up from the bridge. Um, and that experience, that maritime experience, was really perfect for this job. Uh, 
just understanding the maritime system. But a lot of the team here come from different backgrounds, whether that's pilots or aviation, uh, policemen, dock workers. So we've, we've got a lot of um, a lot of knowledge in our team. Brilliant. And you talked about some of the favourite types of rescues before. So uh, what other countries do you work with? And, and do you receive lots of questions from, from people in your work? <laughs> um, with the countries we work with, we work with a lot of countries. It's a very international engagement kind of job. So our search and rescue region uh, is bordered with Chile and Australia. And up the top, we've got uh, Numea and Fiji, and then America above that. So we, um, we engage with them a lot because if a rescue happens, in, in those areas, a lot of the rescue coordination centers from the other countries also help. We all help each other out to try and get a good result for the rescue. So we're talking to other countries um, every day, really. Fantastic. And the questions are coming thick and fast. We may, <laughs> may not have time to answer all of them. Um, let's have a look. So you talked about, about the people that you work with. Um, what kind of training is needed for your line of work? Yeah. Um, so like I said, we all have a background in something relevant before we start the job. So mine is maritime. Um, and then when we get the job, we do a three month uh, training course. So that's um, Monday to Friday every day, uh, three months learning how to, to plan all these searches and how it, how it all works. So we did that, me and, me and Dougal were the two people on the last course and it was just three months of study to learn how to do this job. Yep, and a shout out to Dougal, who is at home sick today, he was supposed to be with us today. Yeah. But um, we, we will hear about his work as well. Um, so we've got, when you rescue people on land, what has been the most common problem or mistake? And are they always lost? Uh, no, they're not always lost. A lot of the time they've had a medical injury, they've hurt their leg or they've fallen or something like that. So it, it can often be a medical reason um, or cold, hypothermia. Um, the most common, I mean, they're all very different. So there's not really common problems. Um, some of the problems we experience is uh, the weather. The weather means that the helicopter can't always get in straight away, especially if the area is in cloud. So if it's in cloud, the helicopter can't fly through the cloud. And that means we have to wait for the cloud to clear before the helicopter can go and rescue the people. Um, so it's a waiting game. Um, and sometimes we get people activating their beacons and then they move around. So we want people to stay still. <laughs> Once they've um, declared distress, then we want them to stay still so we can go find them there. Once you start moving, then it's really hard to find you again. Yeah, very good advice. And we've um, talked about the variety of rescues, so there must be different numbers of people needing to go to, to a rescue. Um, so that would depend on the circumstance. Um, Tell us a little bit about your first rescue that you were involved in and, and what that was like. Oh, <laughs> that was a while ago. Um, yeah, I mean, when we when we come into the ops room, we there's a there's a team of us, so we're all working together. And my first ones, I guess, I was uh, I was new and I was not quite that sure. But um, the team in there, we all just uh, we all communicate really well, and we just um, share ideas. It's really important to share ideas and what we're thinking, so that um, we don't miss anything, I guess, because we all have a different way to approach these sorts of rescues. 
Uh, and I, I can't remember exactly what my first rescue was, but I imagine it just would have been a personal locator beacon activated for a tramper up in the mountains who was who was lost or hurt, um, which is the most common ones that we get. So it's teamwork dealing with that. And last question, I think that we've got time for. How long do rescues normally take? Is there kind of like an average time for, say, a marine rescue and for a <laughs> land rescue? You probably uh, again, don't not, have. not really, because um, uh, a land rescue, a helicopter could be there within an hour, so it could be that short. Uh, and then, like I said, that one down in Antarctica took two months almost to resolve. So it really depends on the conditions. And um, if it's a marine search, you know, there's a lot of searching of the water happening, um, and that can be a really big area. Uh, and so that can take many, many days as well. Um, yeah, so it, it really depends on the weather and the situation. Excellent. Thank you so much, Sam and, and Cal, for um, your great answers this morning. And thank you very much to Poi School for your excellent questions. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, Tauranga Intermediate obviously had to leave us, but that's, that's fine. You can pop in and out, out of these sessions. And we've got our last session tomorrow at 9.15, so hopefully you can join us again then because we're to, talking to um, Lansar search and rescue people, and I think we might even be able to um, talk to a dog handler, someone who has um, got a search dog. So you can join us for the web conference again tomorrow. In the meantime, you can all unmute and we'll say a big goodbye. Right, you ready? Ready, two, one. Bye. 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 Bye.